Well, good morning, church. I think Bryce was trying to pick me up being a dejected Kentucky football fan, but you know, I can we've already moved on. You know, we're moved on to basketball. We're good. But congratulations to the Gamecocks. Uh, 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 two struggling teams, I was going to say. That's right. But anyway, y'all did good. And th congratulations. Uh, nothing to lose. That sounds like a Kentucky team to me. Nothing to lose. Uh, uh, we've been talking about it. You know, nothing to lose when you face death. I mean, what, what an incredible um, hope we have in resurrection. Uh, have a funeral tomorrow, another funeral on Tuesday. We've had seven or eight deaths in the last 10 days uh, in the church. So nothing to lose when you face death. Uh, nothing to lose when you follow Jesus. And then last week, a powerful service of prayer and healing. Nothing to lose when you pray in Jesus' name. You know, it's, uh, it's a time of the year whenever we get to speak for a few minutes on, on nothing to lose when you invest in eternal things, uh, the eternal things of God. And some of you maybe have heard us speak uh, on uh, stewardship, on giving. Uh, it's, a, it's a topic that's heavy and sometimes makes people uncomfortable, but I think it's, I know it's a topic that we all need to hear. You know, one of the... Uh, uh, stories I told years ago about the pastor uh, who came out to speak on giving. The congregation was very nervous as he was going to speak on giving. And he said, I got good news and bad news. He said, what's the, what's, 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 what's the good news? Well, the good news is that everything that God needs to transform this community, to transform this church, is right here in this room. Everything. We said, well, what's the bad news? Well, the bad news is in your pocket. Yeah. So anyway. So a uh, little levity there, a little levity, try to break it up a little bit. But I want to read God's word because when I speak on generosity, on giving, I just want to focus on God's word, on the words of Jesus Christ, uh, who speaks clearly about this subject. So would you stand if you're able as you read together from Matthew chapter six. Jesus speaking, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And then from Mark 8, 36, Jesus again speaking, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? The word of God for the people of God. Father God, I pray that your word would speak to us today, that no one listening today, soul, would be in jeopardy because we have chased the things of this world over surrendering to you. Lord, give us ears to hear your, your words. Uh, help us to know your heart. Help us to know your will. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. You know, as I listen to the worship, how about give that worship team a great job worshiping today. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, as we sang, nothing, nothing is better than you. Do we believe that today, that nothing is better than Jesus Christ? 
You know, does our spending reflect that? That nothing is better. And then you just sang, Brett, those songs, those words that, Lord, I confess, I've been a criminal. And I had to just write down the words based on this text. Lord, I confess, I've been a criminal. I've stole your treasure, your treasure that you've given to me. You know, I, I, I've taken it. You know, the, the text today is, is don't lose the treasure that God has entrusted to you. Don't lose it. Don't become enslaved to money. And most certainly, do not endanger your soul. This is a heavy subject. We're talking about soul language here, right? The Russian author Tolstoy tells the story of a rich peasant who was never satisfied. He always wanted more. And he heard a wonderful chance to get more land. For a thousand rubles, he could have all the land that he could walk around in, in a day. But he had to make it back to the starting point by sundown or lose all of his money. So he rose early and set out. He walked on and on. His greed kept driving him further and further, a new little meadow, a new little valley, and just kept walking and walking. And finally, he realized that he had to turn back and begin to walk very fast if he was going to get back to the starting point to claim the land. The sun began to get lower and lower in the sky. His pace quickened. As the sun neared the horizon, he began to run. And finally, he saw the starting place. His heart was pounding. He was gasping for breath as he sprinted. He gave everything he had and plunged across the finish line, fell to the ground. As he did, a small stream of blood began to trickle out the side of his mouth, and he lay there dead at the finish line. His servant took a shovel and dug a grave. He made it just long enough and wide enough to bury him. Now, the title of Tolstoy's story is How Much Land Does a Man Need? He concludes by saying, and I quote, six feet from his head to his heels was all he needed. Six feet from his head to his heels was all he needed. Friends, there's nothing to lose when you invest first in eternity. Now, I added first, and I underlined it in my notes, because there's nothing wrong with investing. We, we should invest. We should be good stewards. You know, John Wesley said, uh, 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 see, save 10, earn all you can, save 10%, uh, tithe 10%, and do good with the rest, right? There, the, we, we should invest in the kingdom of God, and, and, but make sure we invest first uh, in God's kingdom. And I just want to take a moment to thank all of you who are investing first in eternity. It is obvious from the reports that you receive about our church that we have many people that are investing first in eternity. It's a tremendous blessing to see the generosity of God displayed through the generosity of God's people at Mount Horeb. By investing first in eternity, you're investing in God's kingdom by empowering and releasing this church to share the gospel to share and serve the needy, develop missional partnerships around the world that's changing the world. So thank you, church, for all you're doing to make a difference, building homes in Nepal, building homes in Liberia, building churches in India, building Habitat homes here, collecting shoeboxes to send Christmas gifts all over the world to children in need. You know, there's a, there's a, a proverb that says, if you want to go fast, Go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And as a church, together, we make a much bigger difference. And this morning, I wanted to discover God's heart 
concerning generosity. You know, God has a generous heart. Somebody say amen to that. A generous heart. He, I want us to know his heart. I want to begin by contrasting the difference between certainty and eternity. Certainty and eternity. You know, when it comes to trusting God's heart on generosity, certainty can become a roadblock. We, we, we live in a world where we want everything certain, right? We want to look at our bank statements. We want to look at our portfolios. Eternity and generosity require faith, not certainty. I love these words from 1 John 2. I want to read it to you from the message paraphrase. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in this world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all of its wanting, wanting, and wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Today, we want to talk about eternity, not necessarily certainty. You know, there's a difference between certainty and confidence. And we should have confidence as Christians. Hebrews 11.1, 1. now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Now, someday we will have absolute certainty. It's one of the things we celebrate when, when we have a funeral service. We celebrate uh, the certainty that this person who has died in their faith in Jesus Christ, has, their soul has now entered into eternal life. That we have certainty that they're no longer suffering, that they're no longer in pain. They've been delivered from that. They've entered into, into the God's holy presence. We believe that for those who have faith. We have a certainty about that. And it's based on confidence, right? Confidence that they have that. And, but someday when we die, we'll have absolute certainty. Until that day, we put our faith in God's promises. And what I believe we can have instead of certainty, we have confidence and confidence brings us clarity. Clarity about the things of God. And I love when the Holy Spirit opens up his word to us and gives us clarity. And I can see clarity in the lives of so many believers who know with confidence and clarity that they are serving God and that their giving, their generosity, their time, their talent is making a difference. We've got clarity that this worship team up here today is serving the Lord, right? I mean, you can see it in their faces. The people in the back room behind the wall back there that are running my PowerPoint presentation that are hoping that I don't wander off track too far, you know, I'm confident that they're serving the Lord. You know, they get here like at six o'clock, you know, is it six, you guys get here at 6.30? 6.30, right? 6.30 in the morning. Let's get, they get here, all of them get here at 6.30. Let's give them a hand for that. When I get here at seven, trying to open my eyes uh, to see, they've been here already getting ready to, to worship, getting ready to do the things of the work of God, the things of God. And that, that's, that's powerful. We, we need to celebrate that, that time and that talent that they're giving to the Lord. You know, I want to encourage all of us today to put our, 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 our belief, our faith, and the confidence that God will take care of us. Because I think we have nothing to lose when we invest first in eternity, and you have everything to lose if you only invest in earthly things. You have everything to lose if you only invest in earthly things. Jesus said again, Mark 8, 36, and what do you, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul, your own soul? You know, how valuable is your soul? 
Everybody listening to me today, everybody on this planet has a soul. How valuable is your soul? Well, first of all, your soul is made in the image of God. That, that, that is the image of God breathed into you in your soul. And, and, and God wants to, to breathe new life into your soul. He wants to shape your soul. He wants to give your soul purpose. And your soul, hear this, will outlast your body and it will last forever. Your soul will last forever. That's pretty valuable. There's nothing that you and I have on this earth that's gonna last forever except your soul. Your soul will last forever. Your soul, I believe, represents your potential here, now, and forever. There is so much potential here this morning because your soul in the hands of God becomes this incredible force for good. Now, I was reading this earlier this week, and I just want to share this with you, that the loss of your soul is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. The loss of your soul is irreplaceable. If you lose your soul, you can't replace it. The loss of your soul is irreversible. Now, that's hard for some people to hear. But one day, there's going to be a judgment. And what we've done in our life, we'll be held accountable for. And... And, and if you've lost your soul, if you have chased the things of the world so that you've lost your soul, that's irreversible. But I also want to say this morning, everybody listening, the loss of your soul is inexcusable. Nobody listening today should lose their soul because of the grace of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. Your soul is more valuable to God than the entire world. How do I know that? For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not, what? Perish, would not lose their soul, but have eternal life. So the question today, are we keeping our eyes on that prize or on our prizes, on our trophy cabinets that we've collected? You know, I was reading these statistics that in 2011, 2011, there was $300 million spent on self-storage units, containers. Today, in 2023, the self-storage industry in the U.S. makes around $39.5 billion a year. There are over 49,000 storage facilities in the U.S. That's five times more than the number of Starbucks. That's hard for me to believe. Because everywhere I go, I see a Starbucks. But there's five times more storage units then there are Starbucks. And this number blew me away. This is way above my pay grade. But worldwide end user spending on public cloud services that store information, all of our information, storing our information, is forecasted to grow by 21.7% in total value in 2023 over 2022. So if you're looking for a stock investment tip, I would say go into the cloud services. But in 2023, we're going to spend in the world $597 billion on storing information. That's where our world is moving to. I love a, a, a great somber quote that is something for you to just think on today. Five minutes after we die, we will know exactly what we should have given away. We won't be thinking about what we got in storage. We'll be thinking about what we should 
have given away. You know, so what is generosity? I've got a real simple definition for us this morning. Generosity is caring about the needs of others and acting to meet those needs with God's resources. That defines Mount Horeb Church, is we are trying to identify the needs of others, caring about the needs of others, and acting to meet those needs with God's resources. You know, generosity is when we loosen our grip on God's resources. It's loosening our grip on God's resources. Generosity is the state of your heart, not the size of your wallet. It's the state of your heart, not the size of your wallet. And our God is the most generous of all givers. He has blessed us with the air we breathe. If you're listening today, it's because God has given you air to breathe. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. You know, you know, Thank you, Lord. Come on now. You're breathing, right? You're breathing. That's, that's a gift from God to breathe today. But also the goods we enjoy, the skills, the opportunities to live the lives we live in the richest and most wonderful world, land in the world, to live out his calling. We get to live out his calling in a place that is blessed. You know, our God is a generous God. There are people that are living out God's call much more sacrificially than I am much more sacrificial than we are in other parts of the world. So God has given us the opportunity to live out his ministry, his work, his service in a wonderful, wonderful place. God is a generous God. And we know that God giving goes beyond anything that we can comprehend because he loved the world that he gave his son. You know, God's giving to us is like filling a cup. You know, fill my cup, Lord. Fill my cup, Lord. And when we give, it reveals that our cup is running over. That what God has given me is running over. And I want to share it with others. You know, Hebrews 13, 16 says, and don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. You want to please God? Just again, care about the needs of others and act to meet those needs with God's resources. You know, deep down, Everyone listening today is generous. Everyone is generous. We all give our time. We all give our treasure. We all give our talent. We all give our touch away to someone. Now, the question is, am I giving it all away to benefit myself or to benefit my favorite hobby, whatever it is, or am I giving it away for the glory of God? You know, our generosity should be an expression of gratitude. For God's goodness. Our generosity should be an expression of gratitude for God's grace. Generosity will produce glad and joyful hearts. Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Generosity will guard you against greed and generosity will guide you into God's kingdom purposes. Again, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there's where your heart will be. I love Randy Alcorn's quote. It's in a little book that I've uh, had for years. It was published in 2021 called The Treasure Principle. It's one of the best little books I've ever read on generosity. And he says, my heart always goes where I put God's money. If I put God's money in the stock market, that's where my heart's going to be. If I put my money in in, in property and land, that's where my heart's going to be. If I put my money in ministry or in service for God, that's where my heart is going to be. And some of us have believed lies about generosity. And the Bible says that the devil is the father of all lies. And one of our favorite verses here is John 10, 10. I have come 
that you might have life, said Jesus, and might have it more abundantly. He goes on to say, but the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And what does he come to steal, kill, and destroy mostly? Your soul. He's coming to steal, coming to kill, coming to destroy your soul. And Jesus says again, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose their soul? So what's some of the lies that the evil one will tell us about generosity? Well, the first lie is you won't have enough at the end of the month. If, if, you, if you're generous, you won't have enough at the end of the month. Now, Lynn and I learned a long, long time ago that if we believed that lie, we never had enough at the end of the month. If we took care of our needs first, there was never enough at the end of the month. But when we started putting God's ministry first and serving God first, there was always enough at the end of the month. Another lie is you will miss out on what will make you happy. Another lie is the more I have means the more I am. That somehow we define ourselves of what we have. And generosity should be your last priority rather than your first priority. Don't believe those lies. So generosity principle I want to give you is you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. That's what Jesus said. Don't lay up treasures here on the earth. Instead, lay up treasures in heaven. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. If you were to go to Cairo, Egypt, which I wouldn't recommend right now, with the craziness, craziness going on in the Middle East, uh, but you will find a graveyard there in Cairo for American missionaries. In one of the tombstones, you'll read the name William Borden, born in 1887, died in 1913. William Borden was a Yale graduate. He was heir to the greatest wealth, one of the greatest, richest families in the U.S., the Borden people. He rejected a life of ease to bring the gospel to Muslims. He refused to even buy himself a car. He gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions, which in today's dollars would be millions of dollars. After four months of ministry in Egypt, ministering to Muslims, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. On his tombstone, it describes his love and sacrifice for the kingdom of God and for the Muslim people. And the inscription ends with this. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Except for Jesus Christ, who would give away a fortune and go to Cairo, Egypt, and be in ministry to Muslims. Except for Jesus Christ. Well, if you also, on your visit to Cairo, you can visit the Egyptian National Museum and see the tomb for King Tut. The boy king who died when he was 17 years old. He was buried with solid gold chariots, thousands of golden artifacts. His gold coffin was found within gold tombs. Why? Because the Egyptians believed that in afterlife, you could take your earthly treasures with you. But all the treasures intended for King Tut's internal enjoyment stayed right where they were until 1922 when Howard Carter discovered the burial chamber. They had not been touched for 3,000 years. Now, William Borden's grave is on a dark back alley in a street littered with garbage. And King Tut's tomb was glittered with unimaginable wealth. I asked us this morning, where do you think those two young men are right now? One lived in opulence and called himself a king. I believe he is in the misery of a Christless eternity. The other who lived a modest life in service to the one true king is enjoying his everlasting reward in the presence of the king of kings. Tut's life was tragic because 
he discovered too late that he couldn't take his treasure with him. William Borden's life was triumphant because instead of leaving behind his treasures, he sent them ahead. Jim Elliott was a missionary in Ecuador. He was martyred at the age of 28 with four friends. But as a 22-year-old college student, he wrote these words in his journal. I'm gonna read them to you slowly. They're not on the screen. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. To gain what he cannot lose. You know, how many of you have played the war, the game tug of war? Last week, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Michael brought out a little rope. And it was a great illustration about uh, the red tape at the end of the rope. This represents our life on the earth and the rest of the rope represents all of eternity. It's a great illustration, but I want to bring out a real rope. Come on out, guys. This is a real rope here. This is a rope. It takes two people to carry it. And how many of you have ever played the tug of war game, right? You know, you know, you know how the rule is, tug of war. Well, I'm putting God's money on Eric. <laughs> sorry, Bryce. Sorry. But, uh, you know, I think that when we think about tug of war, I think that we, we, we're trying to control what God has given us. And one of the reasons that preaching on stewardship and generosity and giving is so uncomfortable because it's a tug of war. Show me what you got, Bryce. <laughs> All right, give him a hand, give him a hand, give him a hand. That's a rope right there. You know, there are 2,300 Bible verses about money. Why? Because we struggle with God's money. We try to hold on to it, you know, and God's trying to lead us and we're trying to pull back. And, you know, God, I'm afraid to let go. How about we see that big rope as a lifeline, that God has given us a lifeline? Because I'm going to give you four really simple things about theology. I can wrap this, the New Testament up in these four words. The reality is, number one, we lost it all because of sin. The Bible says that all of us are sinners, and it says this, the wages of sin is death. We lost it all, but guess what? Jesus paid it all. On the cross, we sang about that. He paid it all. And, and because he paid it all, we gained it all. We've been given life and life eternal, but don't miss the last point. God still owns it all, right? We lost it all. Jesus paid it all. We gained it all, and God still owns it all but he extends to everyone listening today a lifeline, a lifeline to eternal life, a lifeline to making the ordinary eternal, making the ordinary special. You know, generosity number two is if it's, not, it's not what God wants from you, it's what God wants for you. God's got the cattle on a thousand hills. What he wants is your heart, to fill your heart with peace, to fill your heart with purpose, to fill your heart with joy to infuse your life with joy, to know that your life is making a difference, to inject the eternal into the ordinary. You know, there's always a debate when we get to this point in the talk, sermon is, well, how much should I give? You know, I learned a long time ago that I should never tell anybody how much to give. I made that mistake one time. I was a pastor in a small church in Conway, and I had, we were running a deficit in the budget, and... Uh, 
I did the math on it, that if everybody gave this much, then we could, we could get rid of this deficit. And there was a pastor in Myrtle Beach, at First Methodist Myrtle Beach, named Bill Balknight. They invited, I invited him over to speak to our church on, on stewardship. And I told him what I was doing. I was so excited about my plan. You know, so I'd taken the, the thing and divided it by 65 people and we could do this. He says, Jeff, number one mistake, never tell people what to give. He says, one person could write a check for the whole thing, but you just told them just to give this little bit, right? You know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. And, and, and it, it, how much should you give? Tim Keller was asked the question. He just recently passed away. And he wrote it in his book called Counterfeit Gods. You know, in the New Testament, do we, are believers required to give 10%? Isn't that an Old Testament idea that you give a tithe, you give 10%? And, and Keller says, I say, no, you're, you're not required to give 10%. The tithe is an Old Testament concept. But he goes on to say, but do you think that Jesus tithed his life? Did Jesus tithe his life to die for 10% of the world? Or did Jesus give 100% to die for all the world? And, and did Jesus die on a cross for 10% of my sins? Now, if he did that, I, I ran out of grace a long time ago. I'm ex I've exhausted my 10%. But he died for the whole world and for all the sins of the world. So the biblical idea in the New Testament, Tim Keller points out, is full surrender. Is to, Here's my life, God. Take it and use it for your purpose. Generosity principle number three, it's a familiar one. God is the owner, I'm his manager. God is the owner, I'm his manager. Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all of his people belong to him. God didn't die and leave everything on the earth to us. When we realize that we're managers and not owners, it changes our perspective. Today, we need to learn to loosen our grip on what we're trying to control and contain. Now, I love this, this statement here. When you think you're an owner, here's the question that we ask. How much of my money will I give to God? How much of my time will I give to God? How much of my talent will I give to God? You know what managers ask? How much of God's money will I keep for myself? How much of God's time will I keep for myself? How much of God's talent will I keep for myself? Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, and Ken Blanchard wrote a book called The Generosity Factor. And in that book, they put this real simple little diagram that really jumped out at me. And, and they contrast the meaning of success versus significance. And under success, they talk about wealth. But under significance, they talk about generosity. Under success, they talk about achievement. Under significance, you talk about service. Under success, you talk about status. Under significance, you talk about relationship. I believe that Jesus Christ is calling all of us to be significant for the kingdom of God, to have a life of generosity, a life of service, and a life built on relationships. You know, if you go to Rockefeller Square, you'll see... Uh, there in the square, a sculpture of Atlas holding up the world. Just the, on his shoulders, the weight of the world. And there are many people today that are living their lives 
with the weight of the world. They're trying to hold everything up, trying to hold on to everything. I've got a good friend who some of you know, and as I share his story, you'll, you'll recognize him. But he had lived his life addicted to drugs and alcohol and affluence. He was a very wealthy person. And one day the Lord got his attention and the Lord woke him up and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. As he gave his life to Jesus Christ, he began to learn about the principle of generosity. And he and I got to attend several generosity conferences around the country. And we, I think this person gave away hundreds of these, this little book to people in our congregation because he wanted to share with them what he had learned about the joy that comes from generosity. In 2008, when the stock market crashed, this good friend lost somewhere around $10 million. Most of his wealth was gone, taken away. And I would think that if anybody was gonna fall back into addiction and back into struggling, that would trigger it. But because this person's faith was so strong in Jesus Christ, they, it was hard, it was challenging, it was difficult. But in the end, they made it through that with the peace that God had their life in their hands. One of the things he said to me is, you know, my biggest regret was I didn't give it all away. I wish I would have given it all away. You got that statue there, that sculpture in Rockefeller Square. They're trying to hold on to everything. It, it just wears you out. It's not what God intends for you. But if you walk across the street in St. Patrick's Cathedral, there's a little statue of Jesus as a young boy. If you look closely, Jesus is holding in his hand the world, about the size of a tennis ball. Because there's no weight. We trust everything into the hands of Jesus Christ. And that's what my friend did. He trusted everything into the hands of Jesus Christ. You know, last week, we had an incredible service of prayer and healing. And I was searching on how to be effective in praying for people. How many of you prayed the prayer, Lord, help me? Come on now. You prayed, I prayed that prayer hundreds of times. Lord, help me know what to say. Lord, help me know what to do. And then I came across this teaching that re has revolutionized my prayer life. Instead of praying, Lord, help me, I want to learn to have the courage to pray, Lord, help yourself to me. Lord, help yourself to me. Lord, help yourself to my time, my talent, your treasure, my touch in the world. Lord, help yourself to me. All I have is yours. What did Jesus pray? Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. As he took the weight of the world on a cross and died there to pay the penalty for all of our sins. The team's gonna come out and sing a song. It's an incredible song. I'd never heard it before today, but uh, the words are so powerful. With nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to show and nothing to prove, the weight of the world falls off my shoulders as the weight of your love comes crashing in. 
I believe in a God who loves me well. Do you believe that this morning? I believe in a God who loves me well. And he wants to take the weight of the world off of your shoulders because he's got the whole world in his hand. Father God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for the blessings in my life and Lynn's life. Lord, thank you for the blessings that we all enjoy by living in this wonderful community in the Midlands area, living in South Carolina, living in the United States. And yet, Lord, we, I know and we know that you've blessed us with all these blessings to be a generous people, to see those in need and use your resources to change lives. Lord, may we surrender our souls to you today. May none of us leave here in jeopardy because we are trying to gain the whole world and our soul is in jeopardy. Well, thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. I ask all this in Jesus' name.